You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to a new episode of Delirious Nomads brought to you by Blacklight Media Records, a weekly podcast hosted by yours truly, celebrity chef Chris Santos. I hate calling myself that. I'm underground metal connoisseur Matt Bacon. He loves being called that. This is your new favorite podcast for all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports and riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Hello and welcome to the Delirious Nomads podcast. I'm Matt Bacon. Chris Santos is not with us yet today, but I do have a very good friend of mine, my German-speaking partner, uh, confidant, James Cross. How are you today, James? You are like one of my favorite TikTok creator type people, always sharing like tour advice, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought we would talk about that. Ah, thank you, man. Yeah, I'm having a fantastic day, especially because I stuffed myself with uh, tofurkey and all that kind of stuff today. And you gave me that glowing intro. So yeah, I'm having an amazing day. How about you? Was that a glowing intro? Oh yeah. Okay. You called me your favorite TikTok or one of your favorite TikTok creators. That's I'm stoked about that, man. You're one of my favorite educational TikTok creators. I think like most of my favorite actual TikTok creators are just like, have you seen Skunk? No. Does he do comedy stuff? Yeah, it's it's um it's like a character someone plays where it's like a guy you would meet at a DIY show. Oh, got it. And it's incredible. So it's like Jared Dines, but better. It's like Jared Dines, but like if Jared Dines had ever been to a house show. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All this to say, introduce yourself, James. Let's go. Like, what do you do? Because you do a lot. Yeah, I do a lot. I've done a lot more in the past, but now I've refined myself down to a tour logistics consultant for independent artists. And that sounds so incredibly boring, but it's the stuff I nerd out about. And it's basically how you go on tour without losing a ton of money and without getting screwed over by promoters and without, you know, ending up in a van crash, rolling your van and everybody dying. That's what I do is I make sure you get to the show on time safely and you actually have a chance of getting paid. Jeez, that got really grim really quickly. That's <laughs> just me. I'm, re- I'm realistic about this stuff. Like if you want me to vent about safety for 45 minutes, I can do that. That's not what we're here for, but trust me, I could, go on a rabbit hole but also like let's talk about that for a second because like you know you hear conflicting things what do you view as like the keys for safety for a touring band in what context driving playing shows either or like what mistakes do you see bands making around safety just for planning your tours don't go through the northwest you know idaho colorado wyoming area between mid-october and mid-march like I see so many bands routing tours through there where they're on tour for like six weeks. 
and then they finish it up going through those like northern cold and icy states and it's like you could have gone there towards the start of the tour when it was like september and there wasn't snow or ice yet and i know that routings aren't always ideal and sometimes you got to do what you got to do but at the same time with october being the biggest touring month of the year just start the tour like three weeks earlier if that's what you have to do because so many bands have had issues in those icy states in the mountains like sometimes even if nothing goes wrong with your vehicle they just close the roads because there's a huge blizzard like that's just as bad you know if you get stuck there and can't make it to a show you don't want that to happen either so just avoid that area in general the second thing is know the capabilities of each person in your band who's driving because maybe some drivers can handle like a van and trailer better in icy conditions than others like i remember years ago i was in nashville and it was february and I'm from New England. Like I've lived in New England for most of my life. And in Nashville, they had two inches of snow and everyone was freaking out. They were having a meltdown. And I called an Uber and the guy was like, yeah, you know, I'm from Chicago. It doesn't seem that bad. Like I'm getting hella surge right now because nobody from around here is driving. I'm like, dude, I know I'm from Boston right now. Like I live in Boston. This is nothing. We have six feet of snow and nobody's panicking. Just to put that in perspective, like if you're driving through bad conditions, who would you rather have, somebody from Chicago or Boston or from somebody from like Nashville? You're going to want that person who's been driving in ice and snow their entire life, not the person who's going to freak out when there's an inch or two of snow. Now, granted, a lot of rental vans don't come with winter tires, and that's a whole issue on its own. Like if you're touring without winter tires and there is any ice or snow, you're just asking for it. Sure. That might just come down to going to the rental agency and saying, look, this is what we're doing. We need you to put winter tires on this van. Like, do what you got to do. If it costs us extra, whatever. But we need winter tires on this vehicle because otherwise you might not get it back in one piece. Like, that, that, that's just two things you can do. Well, three, technically. <laughs> Don't route yourself through there. Put the best driver in the spot and get winter tires. Those are all extremely important points. Ah, thank you. Yeah. It honestly just irks me when bands do stupid stuff. I'm not saying every band who's gotten themselves in a bad spot on tour with winter conditions has done something stupid, but I am saying that most of the time they have. They've made a mistake somewhere. They didn't plan ahead and they put themselves in that spot. Talk to me about this for a minute. So you were talking about saving money on tour, right? Yeah. What's your approach so people don't come out broke? That is a very good question. My favorite one is to budget for everything in advance and plan out what the maximum amount of money each member is willing to invest is going to be and say, we absolutely cannot spend more than this before any income. Because that way, worst case scenario, if you don't earn any money, that's what you're out. Best case scenario you have income from merch sales. Maybe you get a door split. Whatever it is, you have some income that offsets those costs. And I've seen it go you know, both ways. Like Years ago, I helped a friend's band with a weekender and they earned like $180 or something over three shows. And they were amazed by it. And I said, well, what did your other like short tours do? They'd been out for like a week or two here and there. And they said, well, we never tracked it before. I'm like, well, that's the first thing. Like You have to be tracking this data for every tour so then you can say, historically, in this market, we've earned this much, and it's cost us that much to get there. So then you can plan it out and say, well, we know we're going to earn 80 bucks or so if we match the last show's performance. So let's not spend more than 80 bucks getting to that show. And you can do all kinds of things. Like Personally, I think when you're on the road, food should just be paid for by the band fund. Like, yeah, eventually you're all paying for it anyway because you're investing in the band. But that way, you don't have one member who's trying to be super... like 
budget focused and is spending $5 a day getting the worst food possible. And then they feel like crap. And when they go on stage, they just look like a mess. They don't have any energy. Whereas if the band is saying, hey, everybody has $20 a day for food. Yeah, that might cost a little more, but nobody's going to be worried about eating and you're going to put on a better show, which means maybe you'll turn more people at that show into fans and you'll sell more merch. Absolutely. So it's a trade-off. For sure. And ultimately, when it comes to cutting costs, the biggest thing you can do is put a routing into place and try to stick to that as closely as possible without doing backtracking. Because your biggest cost, especially now, is going to be gas and mileage on your vehicle. And that was going to be my question is how do you balance out like how do you balance out all of this if, um, you know, with gas prices and inflation and all this stuff, how do you make it work? Yeah. So the first thing I do when I budget for a tour is I find the highest gas price of anywhere I'm going to go through any of the markets I'm planning on hitting. And I take that gas price and then I add 50 cents to it. Sometimes I'll do 25, but like right now, especially I'll do 50. And then that's going to be the gas price that I'm basing all my calculations on. If I'm sure that the prices aren't going to fluctuate too much, or for example, like you go to California and the gas prices are like 50 to 75 cents higher than any of the neighboring states because of the taxes. So maybe in that situation, I wouldn't do that exactly. Like I wouldn't budget the California price plus 50 cents, except for the California days. The other days I take like an average of the rest of the tour. But let's say you're staying in New England, you're going to do like Boston, Connecticut, and then, or, or not New England, but the Northeast, Boston, Connecticut, New Jersey, Philly, New York, New Hampshire, back to Boston. The gas prices there are going to be roughly the same. So you take the sure. highest one you find, add that 50 cents and use that. That's very clever. Yeah. I've, I have never gone over budget on gas. Let's put it that way. And it's always good to have extra money and then say, oh, you know what? We spent less. Like I've come close but I've never gone over, not even by a cent. That's crazy. But that makes sense. Cause like, and I think that's ultimately, you know, that's something I think this summer, a lot of bands suffered with, right. Is they started touring and then gas turned into this horrible nightmare. Oh, absolutely. And like, you know, in Vermont, the gas prices during the pandemic went down like 210, 212. And then they yeah. were up above $5 here this spring. So I fly too. I'm still paying $6.50 a gallon for Avgas, which is 100 octane. So it's higher. It still has lead, all kinds of nasty stuff in it. But before the, the gas prices went up, like last summer, before I started flying, it was like $4.15. So that's still over $2 higher than it was a year ago. Same for gas for your car, especially like looking at 91 or diesel. If you have a diesel vehicle, oh, that's awful right now. And you know, a lot of vans are diesel. So if your band is unlucky and has a diesel van, you're going to be paying a lot more, especially right now. And I remember when I was a kid, like back in the 90s, early 2000s, before Hurricane Katrina is really what changed it. Diesel was always cheaper than even regular. But now it's like a dollar or two more. It's really insane. Absolutely. So like, just to kind of keep going down this rabbit hole. Okay, so we're talking about saving money. And I like this idea of sort of the band funded per diem. Yeah. Where do you see people making mistakes with merch, for example? One of the biggest mistakes I see is bands saying, if we price it too high, no one's going to buy it. And too high is like $20. They're like, no, we're going to sell it for $10. And it's like, well, first of all, if you're selling it for $10, what are you making? Like a dollar or two, maybe. You have to keep in mind too, that's money you've invested. And if you just have it sitting there, that money's not doing anything for you. It could be earning interest in a bank account. But also people have this view 
that if it's cheap, it's probably not that good. Or if yeah. it's cheap, you're not that good. Like I, I have worked with so many artists where I've said, you know, 20 is not enough these days. Like touring bands are charging 30 to 40. So if you want to be competitive, how about one for 25, two for 40? And that's on the low end. Absolutely. Like I haven't seen a touring band charging less than 30 since the pandemic. Like we're talking about like club level bands. I've seen lots of locals still trying to do like 15 and it just looks amateur as hell. It's like five years ago, if a band was charging $5 for a shirt, I'd be like, no way am I ever buying that. That's too low. Yeah. Right. And, and you, and I, and that's the thing is like, and it feels, I think you point something out there that it feels very amateurish. Yeah, exactly. And I have to say, like, I bought a shirt from a friend's band during the pandemic. And so I bought it online and they were selling them for $5 each. I'm like, guys, I'm not going to give you $5 for it. Like, that's way too low. Like, I'm going to send you 15. And then I paid for shipping on top of that. They wanted to do free shipping. It's like, why are you charging $5? And they said, well, we got them printed for free. Somebody gave them to us. I'm like, that's great. So charge even more. Like, yeah, don't worry about that profit. Right, exactly. But here's the thing. Then I got the shirt and it's like all crooked and stuff. I'm like, oh, that's why it's it was free, you know? So at the same time, if you're a band and you get a great deal like that, be very wary because, you know, unless I see a shirt in person from that band, I'm not going to buy another one of their shirts. Yeah. So if there's something wrong with a run of shirts, don't just sell it cheap. Instead, put like a big ass disclaimer on it that says, hey, this is a misprint or like the stitching is wrong or whatever it is and say, that's why this is $5. If you want something that's properly printed, you can get it for $20 in a merch store, like something like that. But the main thing being, you don't want to come off like a cheapskate because that's what you look like if you're selling shirts for way too cheap. Yeah. Well, and it also, I think it gives this impression of like, oh Lord, what hell do they DIY them in? (laughs) And I think that people are increasingly aware of like, well, how is this stuff being made? You know what I mean? Like, like what's the, and you know, what's, what's the story behind this garment I'm buying? And, you know, cause at the end of the day, like, I don't know, but I just, I, and many of the people I associate with, like, again, I don't, I don't know about you, but like, I just, yeah, I, I just, if, if I see something that's that cheap, the level of shittiness I expect is high. And I also expect that the band, like, I also think there's this element of like, it makes the band look like they don't know what they're doing, which if they're charging that little, they don't. And if the band don't look like they know what they're doing, then that casts a shadow on everything else going on within the project. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I totally agree with that. Absolutely. Like if you're not running your band as a business, it's obvious to anyone in the know. And if you want to make a career out of your band. But even to people not in the know, it's just like, like, it's just, it's just a question of like, oh, am I showing up to like a premium experience or is this corny? And like, this is like the thing nobody wants to like admit about local bands is that the experience is just very frequently like kind of cringe. Yes. Because people don't present it properly. It, and do you want to hear the thing that pisses me off most about local shows? No. Next question. Okay. <laughs> oh, yes. I want to hear the thing that <laughs> pisses you off most about local shows. Yes. They go so late. You go see yeah. a touring band, they're done by 11 most nights, like maybe 1130 or midnight. But most of the club shows I go to, 11 o'clock curfew. Hell, I saw AFI a few weeks ago. They were done at 915 because there's a DJ night afterwards. 
Yeah. That was the dream. I was like, I had to drive three hours back from Boston. I was in bed by 2 a.m. That never happens when I go see a show locally in Burlington an hour away. If they finish at one, I'm home by two. I'm in bed by three. I should not be able to drive to Boston three hours away and get back home and be in bed before the time I'd be in bed from seeing a local show down the road. And the thing is, yeah, these bands, I don't know what it is, but it's almost like they think it's cool to play later and do a show from like 10 to one, even though they could just as easily do that show from eight to 11 or seven to 10, whatever. Like there are options there. And this isn't just for like local, local shows. There's a show that I worked at Middle East in Cambridge or outside of Boston um, last month. And it's supposed to be six to nine. It was going to be the early show. And there was going to be a late show after. And they didn't end up booking a late show after. So like, hey, let's slide this a little later. And the band's like, yeah, sure, that's fine. But they changed it to nine to midnight. I'm like, you could have done like 7.30 to 10.30. People would have still been happy. Like it's a Saturday night. That's plenty late to get people out and get people drinking. Like, but in Boston, the trains shut down at 12.30. So if people have to take the train home or the bus home, a show that ends at midnight might leave them stranded. And this is just something that I see all too often with local shows everywhere that they go ridiculously late, especially compared to larger shows where then what happens is you see people who go to those large shows and their friends and bands complain, oh, you go, you go to all these big shows, you never come to my show. It's like, well, you know what? Maybe that person has two kids and a day job and they have to get up at six in the morning. So going to a show yeah. that ends at 11 is a lot easier than going to a show that ends at one or two. Absolutely. Plus, the touring band's probably better. Not going to lie. That's a big factor too. Yeah, well, it's like, well, we talked about this, right? It's like, and again, this is the thing is I think that, because like, it's sort of interesting because as you were talking about this, I was realizing you don't really see local shows in New York City where it's like all local really? bands. Like if a band, Got like it. there might be a band touring, you know, who uh, probably maybe shouldn't be touring or who are small, but you don't see all local bands on a bill in New York City. And, you know, and there's a few reasons for that. But I think that it's like, well, I, I think I get what you're saying. It's just, but it's just like, it's just, you, you need to give people a superior product, right? Yep. And if you're not capable of delivering a superior product, then what does it matter? Because you're not capable of delivering people a superior product. You know, they're going to just not listen to you. Yeah. And I think this is where, you know, shit falls apart is that, you know, people are not, you know, people are not going to pay to see a band that they're not stoked about, especially when in the current touring environment, there's more stuff going on than ever before. Right. So it's like in New York City, there's literally 10 good shows a week for someone who has my taste in music, which is, you know, wrinkly brain taste. And and that's <laughs> not even niche. touching on like jazz or other things I'm interested in, purely rock and metal. There's like 10 shows a week I could go to. like. So why would I, with both my limited availability of time and money, why would any of that time and money go to your shit if it's not excellent? Yeah, exactly. That's a big part of it. And I, I should say that like in the Burlington scene, usually if it's a local show, there is like a regional touring act that's coming through. But a lot of times I still consider that local because they don't sure. have a draw, all the draws from the local acts, you know? And so, for example, uh, my last show before the pandemic was I saw uh, this really amazing band called Taking Meds 
Um, my friend is their drummer or fill-in drummer. I can't remember what his current status is. They played this like 94 cap bar in, uh, in the Burlington area. And a couple of the bands were good. You know, Mr. Doubtfire is a local band that's been around for ages. They're always great. But then there were two other acts that just, and I apologize if anybody who was playing that show and is not in Mr. Doubtfire or Taking Meds is listening to this. The other two bands just were not good. Like one of them did some covers, which were really fun. But even that like was barely salvageable. And then Taking Meds came on as the headliner. And it just like night and day, even compared to like the good local bands is like the band is tight. They have their tones locked down, which is impressive because that venue, their PA is yeah. not a great PA. Like the mix position is up against the wall. So even a really great sound engineer is not going to have good luck with it. The drums are in an alcove at the back of the stage. So all oh, that no. sound is just being like blasted forward. Yeah. You're getting phase issues and all that stuff. But the band still sounded amazing because they were tight and they had the right tones. So all they had to do was bring the vocals up on top and it worked. I've seen tons of other bands there who just could not pull that off. But most of the time, it wasn't the fact that the sound system was an issue. It was the fact that you can't polish a turd, you know, and I've seen uh, I saw Keep Flying there, same venue last month and same story like the bands as a whole on that show were good, but then Keep Flying went on and they literally had the most DIY setup. They were on tour. They had just come through Canada and this was like their stop on the way back home to New York, New Jersey. They borrowed everything. They didn't bring any amps. They didn't bring any drums except for, uh, you know, cymbals and snare. That's all. They brought their guitars, their basses, and their um, cymbals, snare, and their, their brass instruments because they have a sax and a trombone, I think, is the stretchy one <laughs> yeah a lot of bands are running around carrying a sax yeah exactly and good luck borrowing a sax from somebody like they're gonna be like no dude that's I, I slobbered all that all over that like that's mine but point being they don't have a trailer because of this that's another cost savings sure they literally find a way to borrow cabs and amps and a drum kit at every single show they play just so they don't have to take a trailer and that saves them so much money from you know the gas mileage from not having to rent a trailer or own a trailer all that stuff and so they're about to head out on uh on like a week and a half two week tour with less than jake and they're trying to do the same thing they're talking with the other opener saying hey let's share gear and then neither one of us has to bring a trailer we'll just have two vans and we'll use all the same gear like i think that's such a genius cost-cutting way to do things and they still sounded phenomenal and still blew me away. Like they were still the band of the night. And that's cool. like, I was working with one of the opening bands and I love their music and they were like, they were great. But then keep flying came on. I was like, Oh, these guys are the pros. Like it, that was just, it floored me. So rehearse is the other thing you can do. Just get your show down so tight put some energy into your set, move around, be crazy. Like don't let yourself be limited by what people are doing on stage because I can guarantee you, you're going to convert more people into fans and you're going to sell more merch if you look amazing. And it doesn't matter if you're on tour or not, because if that touring band comes on and is that much better than you, people are going to ignore you. But if you're just as good as the touring band or maybe even better, 
because you have that stage presence, you have that tight rehearsed sound. Guess what? People are going to notice you. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah, man. I, I have so many rants I can go on. <laughs> when do you think a band is ready to tour? Cause this is something I see happen a lot where I see people hitting the road way too early in their career. Yeah. When do you think a band is ready to actually go out and do the damn thing? There's a lot of factors that go into it. So let's say that for now, we're assuming this is a band where not a single member has ever toured before, right? Because if you have members who have toured before, it's going to be a lot different. So this is total noobs, total rookies. Makes it a lot easier. A lot easier. And they know people that will come to shows. That's, that's the big differentiator. So total noobs want to go out on tour, start doing weekenders. And I'm talking like two hours away from home, three hours away from home. Absolutely. Do that a bunch, like way more than you want to, but not too frequently. So Matt, I know you and I agree on this. Like don't play the same city more than every three to six months. Like if you're doing it more often than every three months, you're just oversaturating the market. And that's possibly the worst thing you can do. But let's say like out of Burlington, a good weekender is you go down to like Manchester, New Hampshire or Boston or Worcester, or maybe even like Hamden, Connecticut. There's a venue called The Space there. Oh, I love that venue. Uh, it, it, dude, it's so sick. Like, and it's really amazing. <laughs> so fun story. One of the first tours I did, like professionally, yeah. I found out my boss on that tour used to be the talent buyer for the space. And then the next year, I went to the space with a band I was working for. And, um, and But yeah, the, the funny thing is that boss, I had emailed him years before trying to book a band there. And uh, unfortunately, we didn't get it. But yeah, it's like, oh, we knew each other four years ago, but like we're first meeting now. Anyway, that little story aside, those are four good markets that you could hit. And then that's a weekender. Like you choose two of those. So maybe you do like Manchester, Worcester, and then you come home and do like a Sunday night gig in Burlington. That's your tour. That's all you need to do. And, and you, you just, just do keep it doing that. Exactly. And you build up that audience. That band that I went to the space with, we literally that night, they had met somebody earlier that year, maybe even the year before. And she's just like, yeah, I have a friend. You can crash at their place. Like they have extra beds. They have a couch, whatever. And so she literally drove us up to their place. Like we followed her in our van. That sounds really creepy. <laughs> yeah. But like, that's like normal when you're on tour, you just, you, you, you go, you sleep on strange floors. That's exciting. Yeah. But the point being, because they had gone back, we had a place to stay. If that was their first time there, they would have been either buying a room or sleeping in the van or just driving home like three hours. Like I've done that. Like the Boston show in, in October, we got out of Boston at like 1230 or one. And I got home around four in the morning. Sure. It was doable, but it wasn't fun. Like yeah, I would have sucks, much rather yeah. crashed with a friend there. And I have tons of friends in Boston, but I didn't have tons of friends who would also bring in a whole band and a bunch of gear because you don't want to leave gear like in the back of a Honda CRV yeah. where nothing is like hidden. So point being just start with weekenders. And I kind of feel like once you've built up some kind of interest in your home market, that's when you know like, okay, we can do this. If no one cares about you in your home market, it's not worth it. But if you have interest in your music... Absolutely. You need to go home and write better music. Exactly. And if you have interest in your music, then by all means, go for it. To reference that show last month in Boston, that was the band's first ever show, but it went really well. They had people come out to Boston because all of the members of the band had been in past bands previously. Yeah. So there were people who knew them and it worked because of that. But if you're a brand new band, you have to generate some interest in your home market first. And that's going to be really difficult. You're probably not going to get any traction for a while 
unless you're honestly a good artist. And if you're not a good artist, people just aren't going to listen. They might bob their head, best case scenario. They might be like, okay, cool, another local band, whatever. I'm just waiting for the headliner. But if you are honestly good and put on an amazing performance, then people are going to notice that and they're going to listen. And then they'll start telling your friends, <laughs> not your friends, their friends. And those friends will start coming to shows and the snowball will build. And once you see that kind of start to happen, in my opinion, that's the trigger to say, hey, we can go start doing weekenders now to get our feet wet on the road because people actually care about our music. You know, maybe there's two people singing along, two people. That's all you need. That shows that people like your music enough. Yeah, well, because it shows, it's like a proof of concept. Exactly. It's showing that people actually can connect with your music on a level deep enough that they care to memorize the words and scream them back at you. There's not a lot of bands that make their fans do that. And like, obviously every touring band ever at like the club level will do that. But smaller bands, you don't see that. Playing the percentages, you mean? Yeah. Like if you look at smaller bands, you hardly ever see that. And when you see that, the other fans notice that and they're like, oh, this band's going somewhere because people actually care. You're like, oh, I need to know more here because... Exactly. Yeah. Hell, you know what? Pay somebody to memorize your lyrics and come to your shows and oh sing along. God, that's so fucking <laughs> weird. Like, but it would work. Just think about it. Like, honestly, if one person tries this, don't do that. Please don't do that. It might work. That's like next level. That's like some like um it's like this book. That's an industry plant. It's uh trust me, I'm lying shit. <laughs> have you read this book where it's in this I book? Have not. Talks, oh, he talks about like one of this is like the former head of PR for um, American Apparel would do stuff where he would like he would write to like Huffington Post as a fake person being like, hey, why aren't you writing about this thing? Yeah. And then people would write about it because he'd have like a few fake personas reach out and be like, I would like to see more coverage of American Apparel products. And then they would write about it or. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's crazy how people manipulate the media, but. That's really funny. That reminds me so much of back at the end of uh, 2018 or 2019, Threaten, the guy who booked an entire European tour by pretending to oh, be yeah. like a booking agent and a publicist and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. And like two people showed up. That was amazing. Like, I love what he did, except that he missed the giant part about actually bringing people. Like, if he had pulled that off correctly, he could have booked that whole tour and actually had people show up. Because all he was missing yeah. is local bands that bring people out. And then he doesn't headline. He plays like in the middle. Yeah. And I know people who've done that, who've booked yeah. DIY tours and people, you know what I mean? And like, didn't like go down some sort of insane rabbit hole. Yeah. Because the amount of effort he put in, if he had executed that properly, that same amount of effort would have taken him so far. But because he did it the wrong ways, it just didn't work. And I'm not saying like, sometimes maybe you have to say that like you're on your, you're on your, uh, you're your own booking agent. Like, that can be an effective tactic, but don't lie. Yeah. Like you can say, I'm so-and-so booking agent four, but don't inflate your numbers. Like don't say, oh, you know, we have a draw of 200 in your city when you've never played that city before, because you're going to burn that bridge like that. Like that, yeah, you're never absolutely. getting booked there again. But if you say, hey, I'm the booking agent for blah, blah, blah. They've never played this market before. We want to get them on a show. We'll put together a bill with three locals. Can we have this date? doesn't matter that you're using a fake name and pretending to be your own agent that honestly like it's kind of shady but as long as you're 
putting in the effort and upholding your end of the deal, which is to get people to that venue, no one's going to care. Sure. Like, just don't sign any legal documents with a fake name because that's hella illegal. Very much so. Yeah. Any final words of wisdom or any final things to check out before we wrap this up? As far as final words of wisdom, just remember to have fun. Like, if you're bored on stage, if you're stressed on stage, like, I get stuff happens. But if you look like the time, if you look like you're having the time of your life on stage, people will pick up on that. Uh, as far as what to check out, I'm at MadRockXVX on Instagram. That's MadRockXRayVictorXRay uh, for those uh, vegan straight edge fans. Um, but yeah, aside from that, feel free to hit me up there. Same name on TikTok. And uh, TikTok is where I post all the, uh, uh, like the, um, the tips and tricks and all that stuff and clips from my interviews on my own podcast, The Bandhive Podcast. That's B-A-N-D-H-I-V-E. And then last but not least, Matt. Dude, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for inviting me on the show. And I'm looking forward to speaking German. Thank you. This is maybe our longest conversation in English. I think so. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week. All right. So that was awesome. Thank you, everyone out there, for listening to Delirious Nomads, sponsored by Blacklight Media. We will be coming back at you next week with another awesome guest. Be sure to follow Blacklight Media on socials for new music and more. And above all, keep it heavy. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or were nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little little taste of it right down to the shaky microphone and all <laughs> and my name's bob and my name's patrick and usually we're joined by tom tom's the best tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work but we talk about decidedly not so grown-up things like hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like so that could be the latest shows uh revisiting classic material talking about the new classics um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers, think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind Podcast.